0: could spend a long time trying to think why did what was that switch you know and 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 should I have pressed it and everything else and actually that's not the issue the issue is there's disaster unfolding around you and you've got to work out without Tom Hanks how to get home. <laughs> it's been this extraordinary journey of discovering that we are much much more similar much more sort of syncopated than we ever realized we've just had this difficult journey to make us discover something very special
1: days we normally get a piece of white bread and we put butter on it and then hundreds and thousands and stick a candle and bish bash bosh that's it
2: <laughs> amazing i love that hello and welcome to bestsellers i'm natalie jameson
3: and i'm phil williams and today is a book that Natalie has brought to the table, and I know that it's one of her favourites, and it's now become one of mine since we did the pod recording because these people are gorgeous, gorgeous souls.
2: Aren't they, Just And uh, full confession, this is basically my sneaky way to get you to be totally fine with talking about what's essentially a cookery book Um, because what they've done with this book, Bread Song, uh, written by Kitty and Al Tate, uh, daughter and father, is it's half a biography, half a memoir about their sort of why they came to baking and why this had to happen for all of them because there was quite a lot going on in their lives. Kitty was having a mental health crisis and and they detail this beautifully in a memoir style um, for literally half of this book. And then the second half, you get the recipes.
3: So I've not tried any of the recipes yet, have you?
2: Yes, obviously. Um, Well, interestingly, I actually came to these people before the book even came out because um was it in twenty twenty I think might have, yeah I think it must have been in twenty twenty there was a recipe of theirs for an overnight miracle sourdough um that was printed in one of the papers and uh unusually my husband James uh saw that and he tried it and that was what kind of kick started his, you know, the whole pandemic sourdough making thing and, and he'd done was... much
3: baking before?
2: He'd done, he really likes baking. He loves cooking. He prefers the kind of savory cooking and I prefer the sort of sweet baking side, which is obviously works out well. Um, But he really got into bread baking from that. And that's sort of what helped instigate this whole uh, book that Kitty and Al Tate have written as well. So yeah, I kind of feel like I've been with them from the start and you know, uh, without sounding too stalkery, I've also been to their bakery, which is in Oxfordshire.
3: Which comes um, up in this episode.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful. And it's just one of those, I hope, I really hope that you're going to enjoy listening to this because it's one of those episodes where it's really good people who've been through a challenging time, but making the best of it. And I'm so genuinely thrilled that it's turning out good for them.
3: Now, let me tell you, um, as Proud professional radio people, Natalie and I usually do very neat edits in these <laughs> things, right? But um, I've cut in here on a bit of behind the scenes chat before Natalie does the formal introduction. And there's a very good reason for that, which you'll hear in just a second. So when you join this, we're partway through and kind of what we would call, I suppose, an off air conversation. But, well, we... me can... <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes very clear why I've left it in. I hope you enjoy this. Kitty and Al Tate Bread Song.
2: So I was just quickly trying to make a, she wanted a red velvet cake. Um, and obviously I hadn't got everything that I needed in. Like I didn't have red food coloring and stuff. So I had to quickly go to the supermarket and then make that before this, but it's fine. The sponges are done. They're out the oven. Oh, Frosting is done. you
3: knew two amazing bakers. <laughs>
2: if <It> only, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Useless cake making, So yeah,
3: I have to say. Really? Yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: We actually, for our birthdays, we normally get a piece of white bread and we put butter on it and then hundreds and thousands and stick a candle and bish, bosh, bosh. That's it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. That's so cool. There's a name for that, I think, isn't there? It's like, like kind of an American
1: angel. is Australian. I think it's called like angel bread or something. Angel but... bread. It was,
2: that's it. It was one
0: of those. It's another Australian gift to cuisine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, to introduce to everybody uh, who is listening, um, Phil and I are chatting. I'm so thrilled to be chatting to Kitty and Al Tate today, whose beautiful and inspirational book, Bread Song, is really unusual because it does two things. It tells the story of your route to baking bread, which was unexpected and Genuinely, I don't think I'm over exaggerating to say it was a lifesaver for your family, in many ways. Um, and then you have recipes in the book as well, uh, which I've made some of them, I haven't made them all yet. Um, but again, it's it's just such a beautiful thing. So thank you so much for coming on to chat to us on bestsellers about your lovely book. And again, I'm I, I sort of said this when we first met uh, a few months ago now, but. I'm wary as well of always like picking a scab and because you've written a book it's like asking you to kind of talk about really difficult times in your life but how are you feeling now the books out there about that kind of whole opening yourself up to the world kitty especially
1: Hmm. I think at first it was really scary because having to write it all down actually the thing that was scary was the idea of writing it not it coming out because to write it I had to go back to places which I really didn't want to go back to. But then once I started and once we got pen to paper, actually, I found it really therapeutic because I kind of created, I think, like this, you know how you do this narrative for yourself or these Mm. narratives. And for me, it was all just a really traumatic time. But then when I started looking back, I was able to see, yeah, the painful bits, but also the really, really joyous bits. So it was a really, really lovely experience and I'm so happy that it was published, but I think I would have written it anyway just to get it on paper. And then once it was, sharing that with people I felt completely comfortable with because I'd come to terms with it. I think I used to feel really ashamed of my mental health
2: and writing it really made me realise that none of it was my fault. We should explain that this began when you were 14 which is kind of what I was saying at the start like it's you know serendipity um that's my daughter's 14th birthday today because that's when your mental health really declined and mm-hmm. and Al you notice obviously as a family pretty soon but were at, at a loss of of how to help other than trying to go to all the usual channels and get counseling and do all that kind of thing but nothing was particularly helping your daughter
0: I think uh, it's interesting what you said at the very beginning there, you know, us noticing straight away. I don't think we did. Mm. I think that's part of the thing is that Kitty was putting a, an astonishingly brave performance on. Uh, but and- I
1: think, not to butt in, yeah. but um, I'm a pupil pleaser. Yeah. And as youngest of three, so I was always like, like happy, bubbly, easy kid. So for them, I very much put on, when I started to struggle with anxiety and depression and things like that, I I very much put on a mask that I was okay because I didn't want to worry them. And also I wanted to believe it myself. So then when I became too exhausted to wear this mask and it just shattered, for me, it felt like a really long time coming. But for my family, it was literally a switch overnight.
0: Mm. It was, I mean, we talk about it in the book. It's a bit like that scene in Apollo 13 where you know you just press a switch and suddenly you know you're looking at a at, at disaster. Uh, and you could spend a long time trying to think, why did what was that switch, you know, and 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 should I have pressed it and everything else? And actually, that's not the issue. The issue is there's this disaster unfolding around you, and you've got to work out without Tom Hanks how to get home, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so. Yeah, it was very, it was very abrupt, very brutal, and uh, but in a strange way, it
3: sort of gave us no alternatives, no options. Is that you know? Tom Hanks now dialing in? <laughs> he, yeah, yes. he
1: is. He's so needy, honestly. <laughs>
3: honestly, guys, we're doing a podcast. Leave, leave them alone, Tom. <laughs> They'll do the right to chat with you about the film to their book. After this record, yeah, I think totally you've been um... to
1: pay me, but I don't
3: know. If it. <laughs> oh, a whole new Hollywood issue for you to tackle. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ale, are, are you being slightly um hard on yourself? I mean, you, uh, yes, you the Apollo thirteen things in the book, but you also put in the book that you had noticed that Kitty wasn't bouncing around—is the phrase you use—and but also uh, uh, and as a father of two young boys, I could associate with this as a reader. There's a lot going on in your world at the time when Kitty's mental health starts to fragment. There's a new riotous dog on the scene. There's a menagerie of animals. There's two other children in the house. There's you and your partner and your respective jobs and careers. So, so sometimes it's hard to spot obvious clues when you're looking mm-hmm. at so many disparate clues, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you're you're just sort of keeping the dysfunctional wheel turning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it was a particularly complicated period of time, but it doesn't stop you from looking back and thinking, oh, you know, I wish, wish we'd spotted certain things at an earlier point. But I think, in retrospect, I think it was always going to be, mm. just with the way in which Kitty does camouflage and hold onto the mask, it was always going to be an all or nothing moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. And actually, it probably had to be to, to totally, totally change our trajectory you know, mm. one of us had to be with her the whole time. Um, and I
1: think it's so hard, especially when you're a teenager, because where, where's the line? Where's depression? And where's moodiness? Where's anxiety? Mm. And when where's just emotions? I mean, like, so much of the time, especially with my older siblings, they were grumpy. They didn't come out of their room. They were tired. They weren't bouncing the same ways because they just had a lot going on. And actually, it's really hard especially as a dad, once you've been through that, to pick up on the tiny nuances of your youngest.
3: I want to point something out to to you listening to this episode of Best Sellers Now, which is that as we record this, Kitty and Al, father and daughter, are sat next to each other uh, at the grandparents' sofa. And I think the fact that you can sit next to each other, touching shoulders, and discuss this kind of stuff is probably part of the reason why you've dealt with it successfully. Because it's, there's no airs and graces with you guys, are there? You've, you, you know, there's no, there's nothing goes unspoken. I got that impression mm. from the book. Mm. Yeah. How, how difficult is it to achieve that, Al, as a dad? Tell me, because my kids are six and three, and I fear this. I fear some of this might be coming down the track for me.
0: <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, I think that the, the reality, just to provide a bit of context, was that kid and I always got on very well growing up, but uh, you were closer to Katie, my wife. Oh yeah. Uh, and. I think we, I didn't know Kid as well as I knew Albert, who I played lots of sport with, and Aggie, who was sort of, you know, the oldest, and you'd had that bit of time where it's just her and, and everything else. And uh, so it's been this extraordinary journey of discovering that we are, we're much, much, much more similar and uh, much more sort of syncopated than we ever realised. We've just had this, you know, uh, difficult journey to make us discover something very very special
2: mm. so, it's so strange yeah. isn't it because also hearing you talk about that I've got two kids as well so 14 year old and a nine year old a girl and a boy and I, th- I think like it's kind of redundant I don't think that hopefully most decent parents you don't have favorites but you do probably have a kid that you know, you'd naturally go to like your mum or your dad or whichever one is kind of more yeah. like the, the sort of personality led that way, which we don't really talk about.
1: If I was ill, I would avoid dad <laughs> and I'd be <laughs> straight for mum to try and get a day off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my son would probably do the same with me. I'm probably more of a soft touch in that way, maybe. But my daughter would do other things. um Before we kind of like go too much further, I want to kind of get into some of the writing as well because. I think there are obviously other books out there written about really difficult subjects, but the writing in this is beautiful. Like you both write so well and it's a dual narrative. So We hear Kitty, your voice, you know, first person, you talking about what's happening to you. And then alongside it, we get your dad, Al's, reflections on what he was dealing with at the same time and it kind of flip-flops between them um so who wants to do a little bit of reading for us and and what section do you want to jump in on
0: Well, oh that's a good question um
1: well dad decides i'll just talk a little bit about how we decided and how we how we did write the book because i i'm very dyslexic and i find it really really hard to read um, and whenever people ask us like oh how did you write it there's one one um secret basically which is so important that we tell people about is my mum so dad would write a piece and I would read it and then I would write my piece back like pen pals but then my mum was amazing at weaving the story together so we never actually sat down together and mm. wrote it it was very much dad would write his story, I'd write mine, and then my mum would weave them together.
2: So I'm just giving her a shout out yeah. right now. Yeah. Well, I've I've been fortunate enough to meet your mum as well. And because that's what you get in the book is it doesn't it feels seamless. You know, you do feel like there's a, a real flow of a story there and the quality of the writing of both voices is is beautiful. I, I don't know if you felt the same film.
3: I think the other thing I I wanted to mention a specific phrase that you use Kitty because it made a lot of sense to me and I was never certain um in fact I wanted to ask you really whether um your mental health was ever given a label was it ever given a name and given a a condition
1: yeah like I've been given depression given anxiety there are so many things which I suspect in myself like autism that I haven't had a formal diagnosis of, but I've talked to a lot of people about and see a lot of those tropes within my personality. Um, and, it, and it was to a degree helpful. So being diagnosed with depression meant that I could get medication for it, which wasn't necessarily the only answer, but it really helped me. And again, with anxiety, it meant that when I had these overwhelming feelings from being able to breathe, I had a reason for it. Sometimes I think labels are positive, but also Mm. labels can be really negative.
3: Yeah, I think you have mentioned two of the key ones there, that they can access services and provisions that aren't open Mm. to you. Yeah. Um, Also, for me, I did some work with a a psychotherapist back in 2009, and one of the things um, I benefited from was that when I would explain what my brain was doing, she would tell me what the brain was doing from a kind of mechanical and biological perspective. And then I kind of felt better about myself. I kind of felt, oh, it's Mm. not just me then. is the brain doing something here and we know it's like a neurological response. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yes, completely. I was the exact same. Being able to see it because that was the biggest thing is everyone always asks you, why? (laughs) Mm. Why? Were you bullied? No. Did you hate school? No. (laughs) Like I never knew why. And actually it was just the chemicals in my brain were completely off. And again, that's when taking medication, I kind of think it just helps balance those chemicals. And when you strip things down, you strip out all the emotions, it can make things a lot easier. You don't get the same sense of guilt or imposter syndrome.
3: So I mentioned this phrase, this key phrase for me. This is on page 13, so there's not really a spoiler here. It's very near the beginning of the book. But Kitty writes, I wanted to take my brain out, wash it and put it back. And I read that and I thought, yeah, I've wanted to do that so many days. That's, that That sums up mental health much better than any kind of phrase I've ever read in a book That it just made so much sense to me that really resonated oh,
1: thank you I was literally just saying that to dad mm. this morning like you no know I think my brain could definitely like go in the dishwasher on the washing machine today because it is it's like all this negativity and all these thoughts all just clogged up and built up inside and then when you break that down I mean like if you told your who was it your therapist was it Or if you told your um, psychotherapist, yeah. Yeah, psychotherapist, actually, probably come up with a brilliant way of describing it because it is all these toxins that get caught up in your brain. And then when you don't sleep, they just build up and up and up. And you do want to wash it out.
0: And that thoughts are the sort of currency of your Mm, brain, really. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, yeah, it's not to to deny their value, but sometimes they're just a byproduct of something that's going on in your head. Mm. Uh, Yeah. They're not always
3: real. And have yeah. you can I ask now selfishly, Kitty, have you found a way of euphemistically taking the brain out and washing it? And if so, mm. can I pick can I pinch that method from you? Yeah, mm. of
1: course. <laughs> um, so for me, me, I kind of think of it as like pots. And I can't just be watering one pot because if that pot dies or that plant dies, that's it. I have to have lots of different plots. So I have baking, which I do love. But I also have things like art. I'm not a good artist, but I love just losing myself in it. I have this dog, Scout, this little corgi, and I love walking her and getting out. I know for me, I always need to be creative. So no matter what it is, even if it's like I paper mache a chair the other day (laughs) because I was feeling (laughs) down. But for me, just making something with my hands and I can listen to a podcast and I can just completely zone out, that washes my
2: brain.
3: Brilliant so oh, cool yeah, have you found I mean,
2: a, a piece to read
0: out i have, I have. so I, I just opened it at random actually but it was uh, uh so it's interesting just sort of flicking through it because I, I so remember this so one of the things that happened when we quite early on was uh after started to bake very simple loaves we started getting to sourdough and we wanted to see what sourdough actually looked like because there's nowhere around us and we found this baker in shepherd's bush which is sort of 45 minutes down the motorway uh, and it's a really lovely little bakery run by this, this Romanian woman. Uh, it's called October the 26th. Big shout out for, for October the 26th. And, We're uh, full of
1: shout outs yeah. today.
0: <laughs> and we took this journey. It was a big thing for Kitty to be able to do this journey anyway because she found travelling really, really hard. And, uh, and it was meeting, meeting Reluca, maybe not on a great day for mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, And I'm not going to do her accent so,
2: <laughs> you so hopefully
0: <laughs> I won't be cancelled quite yet <laughs> Ruluka was a woman in her mid-30s small and slight her hair tucked up with an elastic band a selection of dark brown sourdough loaves was stacked onto a wall display and on the counter were cinnamon buns and some madelems Kitty's eye though was instantly drawn to the slightly chaotic scene behind two small box ovens sat on some wooden pallets huge 25 kilo flour sacks were piled <laughs> up beside them and a couple of tall fridges completed the picture. This wasn't some sci-fi spotless kitchen. This was lo-fi, achievable, replicable. We waited for the previous customer to leave before introducing ourselves. Ah, yes, Kitty, of course, she said apologetically. I'm so sorry. I meant to get back to you. I've just been so busy. To tell me, why do you want to be a baker? Well, I can't remember what Kitty said. I do remember her tone, the enthusiasm and passion shining through. I felt enormously proud of her being able to capture it so eloquently. I recall more clearly of Luca's response. I used to be in marketing, but when I had my daughter, I got into baking. And then that was when I, made, when I got made redundant. I thought, wow, why not make it into a business? I knew how to put together a business plan, found a place, bought my ovens. Suddenly I had a proper bakery. She looked around her. I thought at first it was a wistful gaze of someone with a passion fulfilled. But I think it had been a long couple of days because her tone was brutally honest. Sometimes I'm up at 4 a.m. sitting on those st- sacks there waiting for the ovens to warm up and drinking my coffee, and I think, what monster have I created? If you want to have nice nails or wear a dress, forget it. This is a really hard life. By the time I've lifted the flour from the pavement to here, I've carried half a ton. I'm trying to sell bread and at the same time get next day's loaves started. It's really hard work. I'm sure you're a very good baker, and this looks lovely, she said, holding up our loaf, but I don't want to dress it up for you. Another customer arrived, and we realised that we shouldn't hold her up. Incredibly, she seemed to be doing everything, the baking, the serving, the cleaning, herself. Generously, she filled a bag with a selection of her bakes and passed it over to Kitty. It's been really nice meeting you, she said, smiling at Kitty, good luck. We waved our goodbyes and walked to the nearby park in silence. We sat down on a bench, and I steeled myself to cope with the crushing disappointment that Kitty must have been feeling. But instead of tears in her eyes, what I got was a look of steely determination, a look I was to recognise more and more. I don't care about painting my nails or wearing a dress, Kitty said. I want to be lifting half a town and getting up at 4am. I don't like coffee. I'll work on that, but that's the life I know I could live. That's exactly what I want. I want to be strong.
1: And now I like
2: coffee.
0: <laughs> so the world is complete. Yeah.
2: It's so cool. I love that. I feel like we, we maybe like skipped a little bit. So people don't fully know the story. It's that obviously this is all going on with your mental health kitty, but then, and you can't particularly remember which day it was uh, when this happened, but you used, st- baked a a loaf of bread and Kitty helped you and you saw the bread and you were like oh okay yeah I can focus on that today that I can focus on and that was sort of the your route into doing all this incredible experimentation and dissemination to now open a bakery and I've been fortunate enough to I kind of traveled through um, because my parents live in Warwickshire and you're in Oxfordshire and I was like if I go through do you think I could come by and just like see the bakery So I just like turned up one day and saw you at work and it's yeah I love it I love it so much oh Oh, thank thank you you.
1: (laughs) yeah thank you for filling in the blank so (laughs) I can do that quite often because everything everything did happen very fast I mean from baking my first loaf which was completely by fluke and it was just something that dad was doing that I thought maybe would waste a bit of time and then falling head over heels in love with bread baking and finding it incredibly therapeutic and as a coping mechanism to then doing pop-ups and a subscription service to then opening a shop. It all happened within I think also, six, seven months. Mm,
0: one of the things that sort of just came back um, to the, the Riluka story, one of the things that Kitty got from this baking community was this amazing validation you know here she was 14 tiny um she wasn't she because she was so passionate about the bread and she clearly was very good they treated her on a level there wasn't mm-hmm. this sort of hierarchy that you get in a in a school setting or in you know even with with you know my friends and and you you know yeah. godparents and so on. If this was, yeah, they they talked on the level, and I think that that mm. validation was really important.
1: Yeah, and not just that for me, it was also Instagram. I mean, like I know that we always go on and on about how negative Instagram is for teenagers, but for me, Instagram was amazing because it showed me that there was this whole world outside my little bubble, outside my town, and in this world, there were so many people who spoke different languages or from different cultures and communities but were just as passionate about bread as I was and I could have conversations with them I could have calls with them and then even when we decided to crowdfund to open our bakery it wasn't just the neighbours and friends who contributed to our crowdfund it was bakers from all around the world from Australia America New Zealand people who they would never come into the shop but they weren't doing this for themselves. They were doing it because they wanted to help me open a bakery. And that just gave me so much confidence.
3: I have a sourdough question. It relates to the <laughs> passage that you read. <laughs> um, I, Al, I I share your view that you put in the book that the prefix sourdough somehow means it's okay to charge twice as much. So my question to you, Al, and to you, Kitty, but to Al first, because you wrote that bit, is can you taste the difference between an artisan sourdough loaf and a bog standard dirty white loaf? Because I can't. And if so, what am I? What's my palate missing? Oh, I think you can, and I, I don't think
0: uh, my palate is particularly educated. But there is a, literally, the sourness, which comes from the sort of you know, the, the, the lactic acid in there, does make a real difference. There's something really special about yes. freshly made. Go on, Kitty. She's jumping in. She's jumping oh, it. in. But, I know a okay, go on. You said you, you go. You go. But I also think, as I said in the book, that there shouldn't be this hierarchy. I think you can have fantastic bread that isn't sourdough. Um, you know, the, 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 the loaf that we make quite often, which is just a miracle overnight bread. Mm. I think some taste tastes better than any of the sourdoughs yeah. we have, depending on your mood. So, you know, it's it, a cold winter's night when you just want to put a lot of butter and Marmite, then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: For me, like, there's room for every bread. Sourdough's great, but actually there's so many in-betweens before you get to sourdough, which, like Dad says, as long uh, as you've got, like, four ingredients, flour, water, salt, and yeast, sourdough's three, which is great and really cool, but actually it's not for everyone. Lots of kids don't like sourdough. And I think the real difference also is that a lot of the sourdough that we eat is either supermarket sourdough, where it's, it's like, um, for new clothes, same ingredients, same loaf as, like, your bog-standard, brown, whatever, um, but just labelled differently. Or it's very expensive high-street sourdough, which is normally, like, three, four days old and very expensive and dry and stale. Yeah. So I think good sourdough, when you have it, you definitely see the difference but just fresh bread in general i mean it doesn't matter if it's sourdough or if it's two hour kneaded or overnight white bread or foolish or bread great. machine no. any bread that you make by yourself with your own hands or that is fresh it's gonna be 10 times better from anything you can buy from the shops
3: but you're both lovers not fighters when it comes to dough aren't you you don't pommel your dough
1: no, no. respect the dough man <laughs> um,
3: how did you learn this
1: Mm. So this was a Jim Leahy method, and this was the first loaf that we ever made, and it's a no need no-mess bread-making. So all you do is you get flour, salt, yeast, and water, and you mix it up with a spoon, and you just mix it to a shaggy dough. You don't need it or
0: do anything like it looks that. Like, it looks like wallpaper paste. It's disgusting.
1: And then you pop a tea towel over the top, and you leave it from anywhere from like 8 to 24 hours. Um, and then the next day, you take the tea towel off and it's ready. That's it. You can scoop it out and you can make a chia, a loaf of bread, whatever you want, pizza, flatbread, you name it. And that was actually the first loaf that I've made. It's the first recipe in the book. And it's kind of what is going to be the future or my future of bread bacon is I've started, when the book came out, I started to get all these messages from people going like, I'm 95, I've never baked a loaf in my life, but I just made this and I'm never gonna stop. Or like, my five year old can't tie shoelaces, but he made this for focaccia yesterday, all using this really simple overnight, no need, no mess method. So I started to make these packs, and they just had flour, salt, and yeast in all pre-weighed. I sent them off to 200 people all for free. Whoever was like too nervous to bake bread, which is a lot of people. I mean, they went within like an hour. Um, as long as they gave me back their feedback and they did and they loved them. So after Christmas, we are doing a big like run of these kits and I'm going to make 50,000, not by hand. I've got a manufacturer, I've got right. a manufacturer. But I'm gonna produce fifty thousand and sell them like online and to retailers because like everyone needs to try this bread making method yeah, and it other, is no need.
0: The other side just to interrupt again, sorry, we feel we're doing a heavy pitch, but the other part of this is that that twenty percent of the kits are are for what we call bread education. So we're going into schools, community groups, the local prison,
1: food banks, etc., and
0: just showing them how this this method works and then giving them these free kits so it's sort of it's all about we
1: call it for education yeah
3: that's amazing and have you already allocated those schools or can people get in touch and pitch you for to come to
1: get in touch i have a website kittieskits.co.uk this is a heavy pitch i'm sorry
3: (laughs) no 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 because it's not a pitch because i invited it because i'm just thinking you know what you need to get to my son's school i'm going to try and engineer that i don't know if you can get to manchester
1: please do do. honestly we'll send get in touch because as many schools as possible, the better. I'm also working with different organisations, um, which I'm just developing those relationships at the moment who already have food educators in schools. So they'll be distributing kits and in food banks. And then on the retail side, I've also worked out at DTC, so you can buy them online. They can come to your door, or I'm also talking to some retailers. So I'll keep you all in touch, though.
3: <laughs> this is all amazing. It's so amazing. And can I just uh, – sorry, I, I – I know that you want to come and ask loads of questions, but I just for my own brain, I need to know. This started at fourteen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old you are now because I know it's rude to ask a lady. Okay, thank you for bailing me out of there. You're um, welcome. So, have you um, opted out of conventional education?
1: Yeah, I have. So I don't have any GCSEs. I don't have any A levels, and I've been homeschooled by dad. And that's not to say that I don't want to ever do degrees and exams because i would love to have a degree one day but for me it's not a priority the things that i want to do don't need degrees and i love to learn i love learning so i'm always learning weird different topics that's like i learned danish the other day or and i love to keep that learning side going but learning the things that i want to learn not to get a certificate for it
2: yeah i think it's um Again, not to, not to go off too much on a tangent, but education is a minefield, really. And I think it's just as important that you stay curious and want to try out different things and learn different things. And it's almost, I feel, sometimes it's, it's almost worse if we you know kind of bludgeon kids to learn a certain way and totally put them off certain subjects yeah, or certain things. You know,
0: I mean, we we've, we've got a. We've got some brilliant, brilliant schools and brilliant teachers out there, but we've got a system that's still uh, designed for the 19th century, maybe the early 20th century, uh, and and it's not the best way of creating what we really want, which is lifelong learns. You know, yeah. like says, so she's got a hunger for learning. That means that if she wants to to write a business plan for this idea that she's done, she will teach herself how to do it uh, rather than have to go through, you know, business studies at A-level at to, to you know, discover about other people's things. It, it's, you know, anyway, okay. I, I think it's, I, I don't want to start, but I, I, I think we've got-
1: Yeah, two hours later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think it's been fascinating because I've come from the education system and I've seen my older two children go through a much more conventional route and, and it was absolutely right for them but it wasn't right for Kitty. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I think, um, you know, she's chosen a path that suits her better.
2: Yeah. And I'm I'm just thinking also, you know, the way that we all talk now is like, you relate it to how you did at something at school. So I will say, oh yeah, I'm not very good at maths. Mm. I did GCSE, but I didn't do A-level. And I don't think I'm bad at maths, actually. I just didn't particularly engage with it as much as I did other subjects. And, you know, similarly, you might say, oh yeah, I, I hate languages because I was never very good at them. But that doesn't mean that you're not.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Amazing. The the key is engagement,
3: though, isn't it? The key is engagement. I can see it with my own kids now that if it's something they're into. So my own son is six. He's discovered a program on the computer where if you put in, you choose the subject and the names and it will create a word search for you. Mm. And he's now printing these off and dishing them out to, to the kids in his class. And <laughs> one was characters from Encanto. For a price, I hope. Yeah. For a price. Well, so, <laughs> yeah. so I haven't quite, yeah, we haven't quite capitalised on that yet. No, yeah, yeah. this is why I need your influence, Al, as a father, because <laughs> see, we're, we're not yet monetized it and we need to monetize mm. this. But, yeah, it just shows that that's something he's done off his own bat in his own time, similar yeah. to how you were describing with Kitty, that um the, that won't be taught conventionally, but that's something that has ignited his fire. Mm.
0: Yeah, and it's really empowering for him that he he's he's in control of this. He's he's chosen to do it. He's doing it on his own terms. You know, those those are a set of principles uh, and experiences that he can take away and then apply to something completely different, possibly. You know, it's it's having that opportunity. It's that experiential learning, which unfortunately, just the nature of of learning in schools, it's so difficult to
2: do. It is, and I wanted to ask at this point. I mean, we're talking about this, but I know from reading the book, it's not as if that was an easy decision and easy to um, to go about life that way. So, Kitty, I want to know from you what it was like in terms of your siblings and also friendship groups, you know, of similar Mm -hmm. age, how they've reacted to it. And then also after that, Al, you'd like we haven't really covered yet that you kind of dropped out of your career to stay and be with Kitty and and make bread, but you're on a whole nother life Mm. lesson yourself now as well. Mm. Um,
1: So for me, like with my family and with friends, it's been interesting. I mean, it's really lovely because me and dad do have a very, very close relationship. But actually when we are in a family setting, I very much am that young, happy, bubbly youngest sister again and Mm -hmm. actually like our relationship goes Mm -hmm. back to father and daughter when we're in that family scenario and my brother and sister have been amazing I mean I think it could be tough for them just because I have been down a very different road but because they both have completely different interests to me there's never that like competitiveness at all and they've always been great supporting the bakery and us especially in the Mm -hmm. lockdowns so I'm really lucky to have them and then with friends i'm still in touch with a couple friends if i'm honest i started to get a lot more friends who are older <laughs> because they're the ones i was baking with i've been baking all around the world so portland paris copenhagen and i picked up friends from there a lot more who are normally in their 20s because It's funny, I mean, like when you're at school, you always have friends your age. And then when Mm. you come out of school, you realize that that's so limited. There are so many people who get you even more, but are a complete different age or gender or come from a complete different culture to you, but that doesn't matter. And if anything, that's why you get on so well. So I have a couple of friends in school who are going down very different and maybe a bit more common um, tracks and trails, but, Mm. Actually, the friends that I get on most with are the bakers, are the people who also have gone down unconventional tracks and trails. Mm. <laughs> and have that's that somewhere completely different.
3: Can I just, on this theme, can I just ask you, Kitty, and you might not be able to <laughs> encapsulate it for me, but one of the things really intrigued me was at the very beginning of the book, when you write about how the negative effect or negative impact your mental health on you and how you didn't really want to leave your room didn't want to face other people those kind of things Mm. the minute this um, baking bug bites you you do all of those things head first without questioning it and have you you been able to reconcile for yourself the contradiction in behaviors from one Mm. to one via a loaf of bread
1: (laughs) well like dad said earlier i'm i'm just all or nothing that's who i am even with these kits that I've started producing I'll have one idea and then a month later I will have a manufacturer I will have a business plan I will have all the stuff set up because that's just who I am even when I was younger I would I don't know when we were making loom bands at school I'd be up at 2am making these loom band bracelets I am just quite obsessive and actually it doesn't come as a surprise that I wasn't able to do any of it and then I suddenly was with Fred because that's just who I am and who I've always been.
0: I can see her thinking about the word search idea as well. Just, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's just Better
2: trademark yeah.
3: like that. I better trademark that sharpish because <laughs> yeah. then that's going to be part of the kit, isn't it?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so Al, tell us a little bit about, so you have totally, your life has changed yeah. dramatically and no way you could have predicted it.
0: Absolutely. So I was teaching. Uh, well, I am a teacher and my world's dyslexia. So I've worked with sort of primary through to secondary. And then I was working with students at the, the local university who were dyslexic, dyspraxic, as well as working for a charity. And then.
3: Al, sorry, just I to interject. It, is that a coincidence yes. that Kitty's also dyslexic or was it Kitty's dyslexia that drove you into that career path? No, it's a
0: really interesting question. Uh, I think it is a coincidence. I mean, I think we've got quite a lot of family traits. Both my wife and I have families who, where it's, it's a part of our world and increasingly, Increasingly, there's this much broader term, which I think is probably much healthier, which is talking about sort of neurodiversity, you know, we're looking at people who are wired differently, you know, how it manifests itself might lend itself to a particular label. But um, but yeah, so I was working in that world. And, and as I said earlier, yeah, really, I, we had, when, when Kitty's mask crashed, it crashed.
1: and so,
0: so completely that, that one of us had to be with Kitty the whole time. And initially that was Katie. Um, and then just the nature of what where we were with our careers and our jobs you know it was easier for me to put everything on hold for a while than it was for Katie so it was there was nothing more strategic than just that sort of practicality uh but I always feel slightly guilty that I I feel I'm the one who's had this extraordinary second chapter you know I've I've had a chance to do something and meet people and be a part of something that I love, actually love. I love the, I love the artisan nature of bread making. I love the fact that it's mainly, it's a lot of it's repetitive, hard work, but you get this amazing 10%, which is where you, you pull the loaves out of the oven or you come up with the ideas or you hand it over or you eat it. Uh, (laughs) And
1: oh,' the best part, and then, the best
0: part <laughs> always the best part and then then all these really, really interesting people uh, who's who I'd never, never would have come across, you know, we were just last weekend there's a really lovely brewery just outside Oxford who make beer out of foraged ingredients, and they sometimes when they fill their cans, it doesn't fill all the way to the top, so that's waste for them. and they got in touch with us, and we take those waste beers and some of their, their spent grain, and we're learning how to make a loaf out of it. Uh, and they're fascinating, such interesting people. My world would never have coincided with them in its former incarnation. So, you know, I love it. And I love seeing what Kitty's... Yeah, Kitty talked about the creativity, but she has a creativity for business, which I find extraordinary. So, you know, I, uh, just being in close proximity... To that, I think is I feel very lucky.
3: I can, I can imagine a number of people listening to this thinking, "Well, this, is, this sounds brilliant. I wouldn't mind doing something like this." But uh, I know from speaking to other creative people, there is always this spectre of the bills, isn't there? There is yeah. the bills looming. <laughs> uh, talk to me about yeah. how how difficult that's been to maintain, especially in a cost <laughs> yeah. of living crisis.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we're in a perfect storm of of uh, we use a lot of electricity and a lot of our ingredients. Particularly dairy, so butter, milk, eggs uh, have all gone up enormously, yeah, but we don't you know we we don't have a brilliant business model, uh I wouldn't try and patent mine. I think your son's is much better uh, <laughs> um, but we get by, um we get by, and it's and and that, for, that for the moment is enough. Fortunately, I went from working as a teacher to doing this, so I wasn't used to a particular level of uh of money but it is yeah it's it might sound much more romantic than it is. it is quite hard and you just have to accept you're not your benefit is not going to be financial it's going to be in the interaction you have with people uh that sense of satisfaction at the end of a day from making something uh the joy of, of of being in anything artisan you know whatever it is but, That those are your those are your your currency
2: yeah um I know we're going to run out of time soon and there's always so much to talk to you about, but, um, I want to talk about writing. So we've done this, you've got bread song, the book, um, telling your story to bread making with some recipes. Is there going to be another book? Is that on the horizon already? Has it been offered? What's the deal there? So we
1: have a couple ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next step with the bakery, because, um, I'm not retiring, but I'm going to be focusing more on the kits after Christmas. And that will probably be, I mean, I'll be the only employee on that. So it will be pretty full on. And dad will keep running the bakery. We've got this great guy called Max. But we had this moment the other week, actually, when we were asking each other, like, what do we do? Do we either step down a level and go to like one or two days a week? Or do we step up and how would we step up? Because the biggest problem is to get a baker in, you're gonna to have to pay them a lot and they mm-hmm. need to be able to work a lot of hours and we don't have enough hours to give them. But actually like we then thought, okay, so like that's a linear way, but we've never done anything linear. So our new plan, which we're starting to put into, into progress basically, is a pipeline dream. But I think in my gut, I know it could happen and I know we can make it work is, going to actually train up our community how to bake so we're going to have different members of the community who work two days a week and we teach them how to make all the stuff and we have a really interesting and different bunch but the whole point about this is it's for the community by the community and we think that maybe going with this model Mm. of the bakery we just emulate that even more so yeah we might go up to like six or seven days a week even but we could have a whole range of different, we call them bread squad, and we could have like 10, 20 people in the community who are trained up and who work a couple of days a week.
0: And then what we'd love to do is, if it ever was possible, is do another book, but include their recipes for different Mm -hmm. things, because there will be all their creativity as well as kids' creativity there. So that would be the plan in an ideal world, but it's very early days.
3: Yeah, because the thing with um, any of the chefs that we know and love, most of the recipes are handed down, right? So you're tapping into community recipes. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, I want to stop tapping into it and just let the community write it themselves.
0: Yeah, it's how I mean. One of the things for Kitty is how you create something that could last hundred years and not need us, you know. And, and I think if we could create a, an internal dynamic with this bread squad and these recipes that are passed down but also people bring their own recipes it could be really interesting so
3: i want to ask you about your instagram kitty which i'm now following uh, since we did the radio together and um first of all flour there was a top tip the other day don't travel with flour have you um, caused some kind of international drugs trafficking scandal
1: Maybe, maybe. Uh, mysterious <laughs> white powder. I tried to... So I take the kits with me everywhere, like everywhere. I'm like one of them travelling salesmen. And we um, we went to Dublin and I tried to get a big bag of kits through airport security and we got pulled over because of some mysterious white flower that we were trying to bring over. Luckily, they then saw me and they just thought, yeah, no way in hell. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but also, I presume they can test it, can't they? I mean... Quite exactly. easy to discern that it's Have not that cocaine. Have to wait
1: 24 hours for it to ferment to then bake yeah. it, obviously.
3: So you see, and obviously you know we're all about books. When I read that on your Insta, I thought, right. That's my next. That's what I'm going to do in my next book: an international drug smuggling ring based uh, with baking as a as a kind of disguise. Oh, <laughs> Yeah,
1: would oh, be yes, yeah. BBC drama.
3: <laughs> it's a great British Coke off, something like that. I'm quite formative. Yeah. It's, it's gonna be the, the other thing I saw on your Instagram, which I really oh, loved. Don't
1: judge it. Mary would love to judge
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just got Mary's lawyer on the phone right now. Oh. <laughs> um, did you see this, Nat, That this trick that Kitty pulled on her dad, where she made out the egg was about to hatch. It's a really, brilliant, it's brilliantly done. If you can kind of mm-hmm. check out Kitty's Insta and she makes out this, she gets this egg to wobble in her hand. And even I was like, Christ, there's a chicken there. That's phenomenal. I've never seen this. And then she pushes the shell breaks and you're like, oh, it's like Jurassic Park. And then it's her finger with a funny face on, right? And it's completely <laughs> huddling to everyone. But the reason I wanted to mention you that You know
1: is... what? I watch that every night before I go to bed. It means I go to bed giggling.
3: <laughs> well, it, yeah, exactly. I can understand that. And, and Al, from your point of view, even though you were hoaxed brilliantly, that must have been quite a moment for you. I don't know how many years that was since the initial breakdown. But to know that your daughter's now capable of pulling these kind of stunts on you must be just give you so much joy.
0: Yeah. But she makes me laugh a lot of the time, you know. With, non-purpose, without purpose, purpose, yeah, without realizing most of the time. But uh, yeah, so it is, and and yeah, there are these, there are these particular moments where yeah, especially when your phone throws up photos from the past. How it does, you know? Yeah, and and that's incredible, actually, when I see where where how far it come. To, and I you
2: know, want to know what's the latest update on. The movie version of the book because we know it's happening. Yeah, you, you mentioned, mentioned this before.
1: The latest update, too. Yeah. We are always in the dark with everything. I'm sure we have been told, but we've probably forgotten. Yeah. Is we the deal has been brought? Sort of. Sort? We.
0: we don't know. We're, we're, we're...
1: there's a deal, a deal has been made with an American <laughs> company. That's basically it. That's we're, we're very clueless and most they, they, of the they yeah. haven't
0: shown the cash. Uh, or or we managed to get Tom Hanks to sign up, but anyway, yeah. we'll get back to him earlier. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you oh, must have done that me. thing in your heads where you've done dream
3: casting. Oh, at
1: least like twenty times <laughs> over dinner.
3: Where you are at, then? Go on, share the casting.
1: Okay, so I'm thinking like a David Tennant. So David Tennant, if you're listening, do you want to play dad?
3: That's very
0: that's very kind. Uh, to say. I was definitely and then
1: our butchers. Thinking um, more
3: Phil Collins.
1: Actually, you yeah. know
3: what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean you can <laughs> actually know that. We've seen Buster, so he's, he's not beyond the realms. <laughs> you know. <Absolutely>. Very underrated.
1: <laughs> and then our butchers think that Nicole Kidman should play me. And I don't know if they've seen Nicole Kidman's her actual age now. It'd be quite a, yeah. quite a
3: jump.
0: Well, there's a lot of CGI around, so who
3: knows?
1: Maybe, maybe i tell you who like should like play a... you, Kitty. Yeah. Um, uh,
3: uh, what's her name now? I interviewed her. She was in Poldark. Eleanor Tomlinson? Oh, yes. That's very yeah, good. Do you know who I mean? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, right because yeah. yeah, although she's probably a decade older, she looks younger. She can still play the young mm-hmm. Kitty. Amazing. I think that'd be good. What about, Natty, we must have an idea for Al. I was trying to think for Al. I'm not sure tenants, right. I was thinking Hugh Bonneville. Obviously, there's a, you know, they'd have to put the beard on and stuff. but Or, oh, nice.
2: or maybe like a Brad Pitt, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like going down the American route, to be honest. Like, oh, yeah, are oh, you? Yeah. yeah. Like, you can totally see Tom Hanks hang doing on, it. On.
3: Now, you've, yes! said word, you've said the word American straight away. Now, you've put in my head Stanley Tucci. The Tucci. Mm. Oh, of course it's the Tucci. Okay. Of course it is. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be happy with that, wouldn't you? And Andy's into his cuisine, isn't he? Yes, he is absolutely,
0: absolutely can't get him out of Italy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm so pleased that the book seems to be doing really well, and I saw that it, you know, it's kind of had a pretty good reception in America, I think too. And
1: yeah, Waddlington.
0: Yeah, yeah, Waddlington.
2: So funny.
0: Uh, no it's been it's been amazing we we've we've loved uh, every moment of it just because it's been so extraordinary um so yeah
2: has there been a most surreal moment where you've had to do one of those you know we're now connecting with you from washington dc or whatever it is and you're like hi from watlington <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: oh yeah who are those uh those two oh we did uh was it nbc
1: yeah, yeah uh cbs
0: see C- uh, anyway one of one of those uh cbs i think it was did a, a very sweet little film
1: but at the end um the two women were like oh my god isn't she just adorable i want to eat her
0: <laughs> <laughs> they just couldn't say watlington they kept saying what so it was
2: great <laughs> <laughs> so cool i love it i love it <laughs> right well unless there's anything else that you're learning, one, one more from
3: me just to close off if, if you don't mind um no, I, don't. I love the combination the family dynamic that you write about in the book uh, and you write about um al i think this is your line it's, it's your caution kitty's sheer determination and Katie's optimism. And what Mm. I wanted to ask was, they seem three fundamental points of the triangle to the success of this. Would you have had the same success if you didn't have those three points? In other words, does it have to be a family input into an idea like this? (laughs) That's really
0: interesting. I think it needs to be three. I think the power of three. So although, you know, the book has me and Kitty on the front and we're the bakers, I think, you know, none of the, the book certainly and I don't think the bakery would have existed without. Kenley. Oh
1: not at all So you
0: need that, you definitely need that sort of triangle. Uh, but they
1: don't have to be family No. They can be friends yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely but I think having something that's just going to. can be
1: chickmunks yeah, you know, think that. about all the best combinations, you've got Alvin what's it called? Alvin and whatever, Alvin, she's got three brothers and then you've got three musketeers.
0: Yeah
2: absolutely i like the way this is going seeing as one of my cats has just joined us <laughs> <laughs> this is katsu, katsu. Oh, that's a great that's name like, yeah give me treats that's all he's interested in in yeah. tests
3: eight out of ten right cats prefer bestsellers podcast <laughs>
2: yeah, something like that <laughs> so um as phil knows i love a cookbook i love reading cookbooks um now is the time when we would like to ask for some recommendations. There doesn't have to be other cookbooks, but Kitty, I know you've just spent some time in the States. I wondered if there are any particular brilliant books that you picked up there that you'd like to share as a recommendation.
1: So actually my recommendation isn't an American book, but it's a book that's just come out recently in the UK and it's called Need Peace. It's really clever. It's just a recipe book and it's recipes from so many different bakers from all around the world from the UK, from America, from Australia, from France, Italy. And each baker has given one recipe. So I've given a recipe. You've got bakers from like tartine have given recipes. Mm -hmm. And then um, profit from this book is all going to help Ukraine. So, it's really like it's a good book and it's got a good cause. So, I definitely recommend that, even if it's just for the recipes. It's so, I just
3: found this now online. If you want to search for this, it's it's uh, as you would imagine, given what Kitty's told you it's about, it's need, not N it's K N E A D, need peace and the author although there's many writers contribute to this is credited to andrew green and you can find that some apple books i found that be on amazon as well other booksellers will have this i would imagine quite widely circulated kitty right yes.
0: yeah yeah al you got one for us uh well I, I i see it's funny i say this and i've never finished the book but i love the series and i adore the whole feel of the book which is the salt fat acid heat which mm-hmm. is salmon nosrat and uh so it's, she's got a brilliant series on Netflix that goes with the book. It's it's just, there's a joy that she brings to everything that she makes. And I think that that's something that I see in Kitty and that I love being a part of. Uh, and that's been the sort of thread really that's run through even the sort of darkest moments have been these pockets of joy. and And she captures that, I think, almost better than anyone else.
3: Yeah. Before we started recording with Kitty and Al, Kitty said, "By the way, we're ending this podcast with Grandma and Granddad, so go on then."
0: <gasps>
3: oh. Okay. Have to get the-
0: yeah. well, hello. Hi. There's Granny. Hi. Hello. Grandpa is somewhere upstairs. uh, He's a runner. He's a runner. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So have Kitty and Al, have they brought some bread when they come to see you? Is that just like a given now? Usually, usually. I don't think they have today. This time we came and ate your bread.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's lovely. They they keep us supplied, and uh, yeah,
2: my favourite is the cheese straws and the cinnamon buns and the Albert. Yeah, those Mm -hmm. are the best.
1: I'm
2: not been... Albert the bench. No, no,
0: no,
3: no. <laughs> 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 no Have you been roped in yet, Granny? Is she or is she gone? Is she gone there? Oh,
0: uh, she's. Oh, here's Papa. That was a very long look. You're, on. <laughs> You're on. Hi. Say.
3: Don't worry, Hi. Papa. You are not live. Don't worry about that. Oh, Hi, it's brother. very nice to meet you. Kitty okay. wanted you both involved with the podcast, so we said at the end of the podcast we'd well, say hello to you and just kind of find love, out what your thoughts well, nice are on. You. It's uh,
0: nice to include us. <laughs>
2: okay, <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> oh, hey. I, yeah, I love Me- the reception to this and that, as you say, you just genuinely bring joy where you go. And, you know, all the recipes, they're so... I don't want to say easy to do because obviously some people do still find baking difficult, but um there's kind of like a, a democracy in what you do and how you do it, I think, which is that you want to kind of include and invite everybody into this world, which is why I'm like, hi, coming to visit you and stuff. Um and <laughs> long may that continue. Oh, oh please you. come visit again, both of you.
3: <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. I thought you were gonna say, please don't. I've got a restraining order. So it's really nice <laughs> to hear don't, the opposite. Yeah. And to echo what Natalie said, I mean, it's a special, special book, this. And um, I know we spoke to you on the radio a few months ago, but I'm really delighted you've both come and spoken to us on bestsellers. And uh, Al, if I can be half the dad that you've been, then I'll be a happy man.
0: Yeah, I bet you're. Oh, he's very small.
1: You're definitely over half.
3: So interestingly, despite Kitty insisting that Grandma and Grandpa ended that podcast, I think we can call them reluctant stars. That's probably the best way to. <laughs>
2: well, I'm not sure if it's one of those things where, like, yeah, get them in, it's fine, and then you're like, okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Like, oh no, 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 no! I didn't really
3: mean it. <laughs> she was very polite, wasn't she, Grandma? When she went, uh, yeah, she kind of went, "Well, thanks for your interest," and she's gone. <laughs>
2: I know it's super sweet to see them on the zoom camera um that was really lovely it made me think as well that I'm sure that I don't live that near my mum at the moment but if she was around she'd be like yes I'd totally be there and she would literally take over the conversation in a good way
3: (laughs) you know she listens to this right I do yeah she won't mind you saying that yeah
2: no she won't at all um (laughs) I I don't think that's yeah, no, I don't think that will come as a surprise to her at all. Um, she always makes me laugh because I remember going to a doctor's appointment with her in the last few years because um, her, her health hasn't been that great. Oh. And the first thing she did when she sat down was she said to the doctor, this is my daughter, Natalie. She's going to ask you lots of questions, but that's just what she does. Ah. <laughs> like, oh,
3: okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there you are going. this is my mom and she would take over the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
2: It's fine. It all works out well.
3: So that's Kitty and Altate and Bread Song. And next, Natalie Jameson.
2: It is Winnie M. Lee with a brilliant book called Complicit, uh, which I, again, like, Winnie was one of those people that I knew about her through following various authors on Twitter before I actually came to her writing and thrilled that her writing, obviously... Uh, is as great as her Twitter feed, which is a fascinating thing to follow. She's got quite the story to tell. um, And yeah, that is who is going to be with us next time.
3: Do you know, I can't be bothered with Showbiz curtains on things, right? So I'm just going to level with you. We're not going to talk about what books we've read at the end of this episode because we literally just recorded episode one. I've literally had like 30 (laughs) seconds between that and this one. So we haven't read any books. Nothing's changed. We'll update you. News as soon as we get it kind of thing.
2: Yeah, that's fine reading is good though hope you're not in a reading slump and i hope that if you are still looking for any gifts for people some of these books might be a really good way to go